Thank you, Sally. As we turn our hearts and minds to God's word, let's pray for his help. Heavenly Father, your word is a challenge to the comfortable and a comfort to the challenged. Lord, we pray that it would do its work this morning in each one of our hearts as we have need. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was at uni, I had a friend who was studying psychology, and uh, every week she would tell me about these uh, crazy psychological experiments that people performed back in the 60s and the 70s before the era of ethics committees. And every week I wished I was doing a more interesting degree than accounting. My favourite was the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment run by a man called Walter Mischel in 1972. And what he did, he did experiments into self-control and he took four-year-olds and he put them in a room and he gave them a marshmallow. Uh, and then he, he said to them, uh, well, you can eat that marshmallow now or you can wait until I come back and then I'll give you another marshmallow and you can have two. One now or two later. Tough choice. Uh, and then he would leave the room. Now, of course, you can imagine what happened next. We're talking about four-year-olds. Uh, most of them ate the marshmallow immediately, uh, but others would resist, and I, I quote, some would cover their eyes with their hands and turn around so that they can't see the tray. Others started kicking the desk or tugging on their pigtails or stroked the marshmallow as if it were a tiny stuffed animal. It's the cutest experiment ever, isn't it? Um, the, the child that lasted the longest sat in the corner of the room, uh, facing the wall, stuck her fingers in her ear and sang to herself. Uh, now, what Walter Mischel discovered was that four-year-olds aren't very good at self-control. Uh, surprise, surprise. I don't think anyone who spent any time with a four-year-old would come to any other conclusion. Uh, but what was interesting and what was the point of the study is what happened later in life. And the children that had greater self-control, uh, they did better at school, they did better at university, they did better in their, their careers and in their lives. In fact, in almost every way that you measured it, uh, those who had more self-control were more successful in life. And that makes a lot of sense. I think we all kind of intuitively understand that that must be true. I would like to be a more self-controlled, a more self-disciplined person. Uh, you know, I can see how that would be useful in all sorts of ways. You know, in my, in my personal life, you know, it, it would help us if we're studying. It would help us in, as we're, we're workers. It would help us in our relationships. I think we could even talk about the many ways we could see that it would be useful in our spiritual lives as well, in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. But why am I talking about self-control? And the answer is that 1 Corinthians 9, it's a complex chapter, and it's a complex chapter nestled in the middle of a very complex section, 8, 9, and 10 of 1 Corinthians. But what really strikes me the most is the incredible self-control, the incredible self-discipline, the incredible endurance that Paul, the Apostle Paul, displays throughout this chapter. And he really sums it up at the end in verse 24 that Sally read for us. Just let me read you a few verses again. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. 
They do not get a crown that will not last. Oh, sorry, they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. See, for Paul, the, the Christian life is not like a, a weekend beach holiday. For Paul, the Christian life feels like the strict training of an elite athlete. His discipline is impressive. And yet here's the challenge of 1 Corinthians 9. From it, he gains no benefit. All that self-control, all that self-discipline, everything that Paul does, he never uses it for himself. Quite the opposite. He always uses it for the sake of others. In fact, he's quite ruthless with himself. Paul in this chapter is willing to deprive himself. He's willing to, to give up his rights, his freedoms, even his pleasures. All for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of other people's salvation. And what's even more striking is what Paul says at the end of this section. If you do have a Bible there, just flip over a page or so to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, because when he reaches the, the end of this section and everything that he's had to say, uh, he, he sums up why he's been telling it to us, and he says this, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ." Paul says, everything that I've been telling you about, all that I've said in 1 Corinthians 9, all the discipline, all the sacrifices, all the endurance, all the service for the salvation of others, they are what Christ Jesus did for us. And I'm just following his example. And now I'm encouraging you to follow his example as well. So really what I want to do today, I just want to ask three questions from 1 Corinthians 9 to help us see this as clearly as we can. Uh, firstly, what is Paul actually asking us to do from verses 1 to 18? Uh, secondly, how does Paul expect us to do this in verses 19 to 27? And then I want to end very quickly with why does Paul ask in this way? And please do keep your Bibles open. And there is a rough outline in the, the um, outline that you were handed as you, as you came in today. So firstly then, what is Paul asking us to do? And really quite simply, Paul is asking us to consider the salvation of other people as more important than our rights, than our freedoms, than our pleasures and our comforts. So much so that actually we would be willing to give all of those things up if it means the salvation of other people and not hindering them from hearing the gospel of Christ. Now, of course, that is an enormous thing for Paul to ask us to do. Uh, in our culture today, having freedoms and protecting our freedoms, it's a very important thing. Uh, rights and freedoms are the kinds of things that we fight not to have to give up. In fact, our rights are almost by definition the very thing that we can't be asked to give up. And yet Paul here is asking us to do exactly that, to give them all up by giving us an example of the rights that he gave up to preach the gospel. Now, Paul actually started this conversation back last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 that Roger gave to us, when he started talking about the unusual topic of food sacrificed to idols. 
which was a very big part of the culture in the city of Corinth. Uh, and Paul was very clear. There is only one God. Idols are just statues. And there is no way that meat that has been offered to those idols can in any way be somehow spiritually contaminated, and nor can it spiritually contaminate you if you eat it. Uh, but he also warned that some people who believed in idols are not so liberated in their consciences. And so they feel guilty about eating the meat offered to idols. Uh, they don't have the same knowledge. And out of love, Paul doesn't want to hinder or harm them in any way. And so uh, Paul came to this conclusion in chapter 8, verse 13. He said, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. I'm free to eat meat, says Paul. I'm even free to eat idle meat. But if that freedom is going to hurt a brother or sister, if it's going to harm them, if it's going to hinder them, if it's going to cause them to stumble or fall, then actually I will give up that freedom. Because what's more important to me, their salvation or my freedom? And for Paul, that's a really easy question to answer. And so when he goes to the buffet table, he's, he's willing to walk past the crispy bacon and the fried chicken and those perfect Wagyu steaks. He's, he'll walk past it all to the, to the limp vegetables and to the dreary salads because to him, the salvation of other people is more important. That's how important their relationship to Jesus is to him. And so he will give up his rights, his freedoms, even his pleasures. He'll go vegetarian. He'll even go vegan for the sake of other people's salvation with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul knows that that's a really big thing to ask. And knowing what a big deal it is, Paul keeps going in 1 Corinthians 9. He hasn't changed topics. He's still dealing with this issue of rights and freedoms and how he ought to use them. And what he wants to do now is give them and give us a second example from his own life and his own ministry. And so 1 Corinthians 9 actually begins with Paul vigorously defending his rights. Uh, because before Paul can use himself as an example of giving up his rights, he actually has to explain what his rights are. Uh, chiefly, the right that he has to be paid and provided for as he preaches the gospel. Uh, not just for himself, but uh, for his wife too, should he have one, which he didn't. Uh, but Paul spends much of this chapter, he spends the first 14 verses actually establishing the six reasons why he has the right to be paid as he proclaims the gospel. Uh, they're all there in verses 1 to 14. Let me just, I'll just briefly mention them to you, but you don't really need to worry too much about them. He's just making his argument clear. I mean, firstly, there's his right as an apostle to be provided for in verses 4 to 6, just as the other apostles, including Cephas, that is the apostle Peter, and even the brother of the Lord Jesus, that would be James, the head of the Jerusalem church, as they were provided for, as they went around proclaiming the gospel. Secondly, there is his right as a worker in verse 7. Like any soldier or farmer or shepherd, his right to share in the fruit of his labours. Thirdly, there is his right under the law of Moses in verses 8 to 10. Even the oxen gets to eat the grain as he treads it out. And so too the preacher of the gospel ought to share in the fruits of their ministry. Personally, I don't like being compared to an oxen all that much. Uh, but, you know, I'll take it. 
but then there is, in verses 11 and 12, a kind of fourth right, an almost natural right, a connection between spiritual seed and, and material harvest that is established. And this right, fifthly in verse 13, is even a right that's accepted and understood by the pagan temples in Corinth, which reminds us again that the the topic of food sacrifice to idols is not very far away. And lastly, as if all those five reasons weren't enough, uh, Paul plays his last and most devastating card in verse 14. He says, it is the explicit command of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But here's the thing, all this, this right to be, to be provided for that he, he so exhaustively argues for is a right that he's given up. Have a look at verse 12. Uh, see there, this is what he says. But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Uh, Paul made no use of his rights. In fact, Uh, He worked for his own living by by making tents. He even chose to remain single rather than to marry. And he has no interest in taking them up now either. Uh, Come a little further down into verse 15. Paul is not writing this letter somehow as to now say to the Corinthians, I want to take it up. You know, he has no intention of exercising his rights now. Uh, He's not coming to them kind of looking for a little bit of back pay or asking for a a contribution to his superannuation fund. He's not wavering a handful of receipts looking for reimbursement. In fact, quite the opposite. Paul says that he would rather die than exercise his rights. He would much rather preach the gospel to them free of charge. And it was his choice to do that. It wasn't his choice whether or not he would preach the gospel, he says in verse 16. Paul must preach the gospel, that he makes clear. Preaching the gospel was his life. Preaching the gospel was the very thing that the Lord Jesus commanded him to do when the Lord Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Road. But what Paul could choose to do was to preach it for nothing. That was his choice and that's what he wanted to do. He wanted, verse 18, to offer the gospel free of charge. He didn't want people to have to pay for it. He didn't want the gospel to be a thing that, you know, you had to have money in order to access, even though he had every right to ask for payment. But in offering the gospel free of charge, he was motivated by something else in verse 17. He is motivated by a reward although it's a very different sort of reward than what we might imagine, as we will see. But the point is simply this. When Paul preached the gospel of grace, he does so with grace. The gospel of Jesus proclaims salvation to us that comes to us without cost, free of charge. And so Paul wants to make sure that the proclamation of that free gospel comes freely. The gospel is about the generosity of God, and so Paul says, I'm going to give it to you as generously as I can. And the gospel makes you free, so I preach it to you for free, so that you might understand the freedom that is in the gospel. And so it is really like the food sacrificed to idols, isn't it? Paul has a right, he has the right to be supported as he preaches the gospel. Just as in chapter 8, the Christian has a right to eat food sacrificed to idols. 
But Paul freely gives up that right, that freedom, for the sake of the salvation of others. So as to not put any stumbling block, not put any hindrance, not put any barrier between people and the gospel, especially not something as insignificant as money. There is a principle here, isn't it? Paul looks at the Corinthians and he looks at himself and he thinks, what is more important, my rights or your salvation? And again, to Paul, that's a very easy question to answer. You see, Christian freedom, the freedom that comes to us in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, is unlike any other freedom in the world. Because it's a freedom that leads us to service. It's a freedom that we willingly give up for the sake of other people and their salvation. It's not a freedom that we fight to defend or that we fight to demand no matter what. It is instead a very peculiar sort of freedom that leads us instead into the, servery, the, the, sorry, the, the service and even the slavery of others. And it's very peculiar, but, but not if you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. After all, Jesus gave up his rights. He gave up his rights as the one through whom and for whom and by whom all the universe was created by becoming an ordinary human being like one of us. And Jesus gave up his freedom from death. He became a slave to death. In fact, a slave to, to crucifixion, one of the most humiliating and painful forms of death that humanity has ever devised. And Jesus even gave up the pleasures of his eternal relationship with God the Father so that he might endure all the Father's anger that we deserve. And why did Jesus do this? Because Jesus looked at us and he looked at himself and he said, what's more important, my rights or your salvation? And to Jesus, that was a very easy question to answer. And so too it was for Paul. And so too Paul hopes it will be for us. That's what Paul wants us to do. But how does he expect us to do this? How does he expect us to, to be like him and be like the Lord Jesus in this way? And his answer is, by keeping our eyes fixed on the price, fixed on the reward that is offered. That is how we will be as disciplined, as self-controlled, as, as focused, even as ruthless as an elite athlete. Now, do you see that in, in verse 17? It goes by very quickly, but have a look at verse 17 again. Paul says, I have to preach the gospel, but if I have to preach the gospel, I'm going to do it free of charge, because by doing that, I will have a reward. Uh, there is a reward, says Paul, for choosing to, to give up our rights in this way. Uh, well, what's the reward that he's talking about there? Well, uh, let me remind you again that he also uses a very similar sort of language in verses 24 to 27, where, again, he talks about the prize, that we run the race so as to get the prize. We, we compete in the games to receive a crown, and not a, not a crown that will last only momentary, not, not a perishable crown, but instead an imperishable crown. 
In fact, the prize for the Corinthian games was a hat of wilted celery. That's what the, the athlete in Corinth was competing for. At least we do a little bit better now. You know, when you go to the Olympics now, we, we kind of give you the, we hang the gold medal around your neck. We used to hand them their medals. That's how the Olympic Games used to work. Uh, but back in 1956, in the Melbourne Games, uh, Aroa was so excited that he'd won his race uh, that when they handed him his gold medal, he immediately dropped it into the river. And so, no, we don't trust athletes anymore. We've got to hang it around their necks so that they don't, they don't lose it. But actually, what Paul is working towards, the reason why he's willing to give up his rights and his freedoms is because he perceives a prize, a reward, that lasts even longer than a gold medal hung around their neck. And so in verses 19 to 23, he tells us the reward for proclaiming the gospel free of charge. Over and over again, he, he answers. Over and over again, he says, I gain people. I gain fellow lovers of Christ Jesus. I give up my rights. I even make myself a slave. I aim to be as disciplined as an elite athlete. And in return, I gain people. I gain fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Have a look at verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might not win, but save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. See, Paul gives up all his rights, he gives up all his freedoms, all his pleasures. He makes himself a slave to other people's salvation. Paul lives and dies for other people's salvation. And it's their salvation that is his prize and his reward. And so as he says there at the end in verse 23, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings, or as it's better translated, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. See, Paul wants the blessings of the gospel. After all, who wouldn't? The blessings of forgiveness and pardon. That's what the gospel is about. How wonderful it is to know that all the things that we have done, all that we've thought, all that we have not done but should have done, all that we've failed to do, how good it is to know that all can be forgiven through Christ Jesus our Lord. What a wonderful blessing. The blessing of rebirth and, and of eternal life, to be able to start anew in the hands of our God, spiritually brought to new life, a new life that will last for eternity. What a wonderful blessing. Or the blessing of the empowering of the Holy Spirit that is within us. And yet Paul, he doesn't just want these blessings he wants to enjoy them with as many people as he possibly can. It reminds me of a moment many, many years ago. Someone asked the great evangelist, uh, John Chapman, who many of you uh, remember. 
Someone asked him what his goal in life was. And quick as a flash, as John Chapman always was, quick as a flash, he said, I want to get to heaven and I want to take as many people there as I possibly can. What a great goal in life. A life spent with that as our goal is a life well spent. Now, please don't mishear me. Uh, Paul is not somehow saying that he's saved by his evangelism or his ministry or even by his, his giving up of his rights, as if somehow Christ and his death is of no significance. But he is saying that as one of the saved people, he now lives like Jesus, laying down his life for other people's salvation. In fact, I think Paul has a very, very clear vision of the future. I think that one day he sees that he will receive from the Lord Jesus the imperishable crown of eternal life. And he also sees that on that day around him will be all these other people, all these other people whom he has preached the gospel to free of charge. And they will be there also receiving from the Lord Jesus Christ their imperishable crowns of eternal life. And then they will come to him and they will say, you know, I have this crown. Because of Jesus, because of what he gave up to save me. But I also have this crown because of you, because of what you gave up, because you preached the gospel to me free of charge, because you became like a Jew or like one under the law or like one who was weak, because of the freedoms and the rights and the pleasures, because of all you gave up. That really helped me to be here today. And then Paul will say, it was worth it. To see you here today, crowned by the Lord Jesus with eternal life, it was all worth it every single moment. To see you here with me, with Jesus, for eternity, that's why I did it. That's my reward. That's my prize. And what a prize it will be. We need to finish up. So there's just one last question I want to answer very quickly. And that's this. Why does Paul ask us to do this in this way? Why does he ask us to give up our freedoms and our rights for the salvation of others? Why does he sort of set an example like this for us? Why is he asking us to do this voluntarily? He wants us to choose to do this. Like he chose to give up his right. You know, he could have given it to us as a command. He he could have made it a rule. After all, he is the apostle. He has that authority. But he doesn't. Why not? Well, uh, partly that's the nature of the gospel itself. The gospel of Jesus Christ does bring freedom. And Paul is the last person in the world who wants to take that away from us. But I think mostly it's because Paul doesn't want us to lose our reward either. Our prize. Paul wants to leave us the same choice that he made. The same opportunity to give up what is owed us for the sake of the salvation of others. So that we might have the same opportunity to enjoy the rewards and the prize that he looks forward to. I think Paul wants us to imagine that day as well. That day when we will receive from the Lord Jesus the imperishable crown of eternal life. 
And Paul wants us to see around us all these other people also receiving their imperishable crowns of eternal life. And he wants us to have the joy of them coming over to us and saying, you know, I have this crown because of Jesus, because of what he gave up to save me. But I also have this crown because of you, because of what you gave up for me. Because of the freedoms and the pleasures and the the rights that you gave up, that really helped me to be here today. The way that you welcomed me into church, that really helped. The way that you, you sat with me that time when I was weighed down by grief. The way that you you prayed for me when God felt so very far away. The way that you shared a meal with me when I was hungry. The way that you you met with me and you read the Bible with me when I really needed to hear God speak to me. The way that you welcomed me into your home and you you shared your life with me. The way that you, you generously gave so that your church wasn't about money. It didn't hand around a plate. It didn't always ask for money. The way that you took stumbling blocks away. The way that you, you took hindrances away, even though you didn't have to. The way that you showed me Jesus by making my salvation more important than your freedoms and your rights. That's what really helped me to be here today. The way you followed Paul's example, who was just following the example of the Lord Jesus, that really helped me to get here today. And you know what? When we get there, we'll say the same thing Paul did. We'll say, it was worth it. To see you here today, crowned with the imperishable crown of eternal life, it was all worth it. Every moment of it. To see you with me, with Jesus, for eternity. That's why I did it. That's our prize. That's our reward. And what a reward it will be. For what a joy it is to be a servant of Jesus Christ and a slave of each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we hold on to the things of this world so tightly. Our freedoms, our rights, our pleasures, they're good things. Things that we're even entitled to. But how unimportant are they compared with the joy of sharing with others in the blessings of the gospel. Help us to understand this life from the perspective of eternity. Help us to consider no sacrifice too great No pain too much, no cost too high compared with the reward of seeing others saved by Jesus. For that is the love that Jesus showed us. It's that attitude that took him to the cross for our salvation. And so help us to simply be like him, our Saviour and our Lord. Amen.